This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. What is your next mission from God? We all have one. God has something in mind for us right where we are. Welcome to Your Next Mission from God with Julian Durko, where the saints show us how it's done. They've been through it, and sometimes they even got it wrong before they got it right. Based on Julie's book, Discover Your Next Mission from God, Saints Who Found God's Will and How You Can Too, Julie shares unique stories from the lives of the saints to show how they searched for and discovered God's will for their lives. There were a group of people that we don't, in today's world, we don't hear much about this sort of a person, but those who went out to the desert. And how this worked was in the very early church, some of them went escape because they were actually escaping persecution. And then it developed into this desert living, desert fathers and desert mothers existence out there. Uh, For some, they may have gone out for persecution, but then when the persecution ceased, they had found this way of life that obviously was their calling or their preference. Initially, it was on the outskirts of town. There would be these hermit-type people living on the outskirts of town in little caves or huts or whatever, and people would go and see them for wisdom. They would bring them food, or there would be some kind of a little bit of a commerce going back and forth, whether it was advice for a gift or an offering or whatever. But then it was kind of a development in the fourth century where they would end up going farther and farther, and it would develop even into a monasticism in some cases. Some were actually hermits all by themselves. Then these communities developed where monks lived in community, communal work, but then they had their individual cells for prayer and everything. And this movement is a beautiful time in history to know about. They chose this way of life. They studied it. They sought it out. They had a reason. And so St. John Cassian, who was also a desert father, said this, It is no external adversary that we must fear. The foe is within us, and every day we wage an inner war. Once it has been conquered, everything that is outside will be weakened and all things will be subdued and subjected to the soldier of Christ. We shall not have an adversary outside of us to be afraid of if what is within us has been overcome and yielded to the spirit. So it's a very ascetical way of living. I mean, they lived, you know, like they made their clothes from the leaves and fronds of of a palm tree if there was one nearby. They just had a very meager existence where, you know, the hunger was a part of it a lot of the time. Solitude, staying in a cell, not going outside, staying in a cave, just this ascetical way of living to subdue the body in a way of having strength as a soldier of Christ against every, anything exterior, which would be the demons or the satanic world. So. Anthony the Great, he was born around 251, and he lived 
about 40 miles south of Alexandria. That was the capital of Egypt at the time. So he lived in a village. So he would have made it to Alexandria, I'm imagining in his life, he, he would have. Because his parents, they weren't rich, but they were well off. There was an estate and a working farm, and there was a comfortable life for him and his sister. But he didn't go off into the desert to escape persecution. He was at Mass. He was a practicing Catholic. But he went to Mass and he heard the story of the rich young man. And if you remember that story, the rich young man is not willing to give up his riches to follow Christ. He's done everything else, but he's not willing to take that final all-in step. And St. Anthony heard that and he took it to heart. He took it to heart. So at this point in his life, his parents have died and he's a young man. He's inherited the estate and he has a younger sister. Well, I think she's younger. He has a sister who, because she's a woman, can't inherit the estate. So he's got to consider her. And so what he does is he starts giving away the property and everything, but leaving enough to take care of his sister to make sure that she is cared for. So he's divesting himself of wealth in response to that reading. But then a few months later, he had another experience at Mass. And it was the reading of the Gospel, Matthew 6. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. So at that point, he felt very confirmed and he actually sold the house and left enough for his sister, and now he decides to go and have an ascetical life in the outskirts of the village. And he goes around to all the different established hermits that are out there, and he tries to get from them their wisdom. What was the wisdom they gained? Now, think about that. Isn't it the best thing if we gain wisdom from the experience or the mistakes of others instead of having to make our own? I don't know about you, but I am notorious for making my own all the time when I could have learned from somebody else and saved myself a bunch of grief. Well, this we see in Anthony that he's more mature. He's like, I'm going to find out what they found out and I'm going to start a little bit ahead of the game. So he does. He goes and spends time with many of them. And then once he's gotten his information, he goes to his own cell on the outskirts of his village and just studies and contemplates and try to grow in the ways of holiness that they did, especially in the way of love. During this time, the devil must have known that a great saint was in the making and a great saint who would influence countless others towards holiness and towards God and away from Satan and the dark side. The evil spirits knew this and they tormented him as well. He had great battles, physical battles. As a matter of fact, one time he spent such a time with the devils that his friends found him and he just appeared dead. I mean, he wasn't, they knew he was, he must have been in a coma or something. And they drag or carry him back into town and they keep vigil over him because he's dying or they think he's dying and then all of a sudden he wakes up and he's fine and he goes back back to his cave outside of town and the demons resume their assault and then finally 
at one point, his cave fills with light and Jesus is there. And he's like, where were you? I've been going through this and where were you? I mean, because when the light comes, they scatter, you know, the whole thing. And Jesus says to him, I have been here the whole time. And because you've persevered, I will make you renowned everywhere. So that was that experience. And that, that was about 24 year span, you know, where he goes, he goes and he questions all the monks and they're not monks yet. They're, they're hermits. And he gets in his own cell and then he goes and it's a 20, 24 year span there where he does that. And now he has this encounter with Christ. And so he's going to move further now, further away from the town. So he goes and he finds an old abandoned military base, an Egyptian military base. And it's got water source and some of these things, a place to plant a garden, etc., like that. And so he sets up camp there and he's going to be there for a long time. And so at this point, he makes this deep decision that he's got a cell. He doesn't converse with anyone. He probably comes out in the darkness to tend his garden and things like that. There's a window that people can pass bread through or that he can give advice. But for 26 years, for 26 years, he lives here with virtually no contact with anyone and hardly ever outside his cell except privately. And this is, you know, after he had the visit with Jesus and this is, this was his response. And so when he emerges from his cell, like it's time to go, it's kind of like, I don't know, he's getting ready to become Anthony the Great, although he doesn't, maybe he doesn't know it. This was his formation. I know it's a long formation, but you know, when you think about it, often our lives are our formation. Like I'm, I'm a late bloomer. I didn't start getting an education regarding catechetics and theology. I didn't start exploring and doing what I'm doing now, which I think is my calling to be a um, catechist, to be an evangelizer. I didn't get that calling till I was almost 50. And then I kind of had to start. I mean, I had to learn all my stuff and go to school and all the things, you know, I mean, like I'm a late starter. And I think though, my life though, all that life experience, that was a formation period for me. And it is for so many. And it was for Anthony being in his cell, the Lord was forming him. He was doing a great work. And so he emerges at 56 years old to do his greatest work. I think he's going to live till he's well into his 90s. So he's just on the edge of beginning the big mission. The big mission. Anyway, uh, so he emerges from his, his cell and, and got to remember, this is, you know, the fourth century. 56 years old is pretty old. And people, after having not seen him, kind of expected a broken, feeble, old man. But St. Athanasius, who was his biographer, wrote this about Anthony. He came forth as out of a shrine, as one in the sacred mysteries and filled with the spirit of the Lord. He had himself completely under control. Remember what I read to you about 
what the goal of going into the desert was to subdue everything inside because if you get yourself completely under control, nothing on the exterior, basically temptations and Satan and everything else, they can't affect you. So he obviously did that. He had himself completely under control. That's a quote from St. Athanasius. A man guided by reason and stable in his character. So now he is ready. His, his mission, his big mission is beginning now. This whole life up to this point was his formation. I'm going to go into a part two because now the story really gets exciting. I mean, it really gets exciting. So you're going to want to hear the second part. Thank you for joining me. Let's pray. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, we love you. You've been listening to Your Next Mission from God with Julie Omdurko, produced at the studios of Mater Dei Radio in Portland, Oregon. To listen to this podcast, visit materdayradio.com. To find out more about Julie's book, Discover Your Next Mission from God, Saints Who Found God's Will and How You Can Too, or if you're in need of a Catholic speaker for a parish mission, retreat, conference, or event, visit catholicfinishstrong.org. That's catholicfinishstrong.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.